Amen. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, and you're listening to the Bedatitudes podcast, where we take a look at what it means to be an awesome Catholic dad. How can we be fathers after the Heavenly Father's own heart? We are walking our way through my book, The Bedatitudes, Eight Ways to Be an Awesome Dad, but we're not just going to be talking about the book. We'll also be exploring lots of things that touch on the lives of fathers and fatherhood and how we can be awesome dads to our kids. Um, but in this part of the podcast, we're talking about the first beatitude, blessed are the dads who are poor in spirit. What does that actually mean to be poor in spirit? And how does it impact our relationship first with our Heavenly Father, secondly, with our wife, and then finally with our kids? Because, you know, we can't give what we don't have, right? So we have to start by understanding what it means to be a son of the Father. How does this particular beatitude dictate or, or, or inform me, maybe better, of the nature of my relationship with my Heavenly Father? What does it mean to be His Son? And we were talking about that more last time. And this time we're going to focus on that second piece of it. What does this bedatitude mean to my relationship with my wife? Um, and then finally, we'll talk about what this bedatitude means to our relationship with our kids. And we'll do that for each of the bedatitudes uh, in, in order. But you know, as we were saying last time, poverty in spirit really means embracing the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. Being a dad is on the job training. We're, we're all figuring it out as we go. And when we get into trouble is when we pretend that we do know what we're doing. You know, ah, we're just going to follow me. Go this way, everybody. And we just head off into the wilderness. Um, God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be not so much the leaders as the first followers. What does that mean? Let's talk about that for a second. Who is the leader of my home? I realize that I'm supposed to be the spiritual head of the house. I realize I'm supposed to be the, the, the leader somehow. But, but what does it mean? Who is the real leader of the home? Christ is. Right? In Ephesians 5, St. Paul says, defer to one another out of reverence for Christ. Defer to one another out of reverence for Christ. And only then does St. Paul go on to talk about um, the relationship between men and women. Wives be submissive. Husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and all of that. But that, that, that whole larger passage is dependent on that first verse, which says defer to one another out of reverence for who? The spiritual head that is the man? No, out of Christ. Uh, defer to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so... That doesn't mean my role isn't important. My role is tremendously important as a father, as a, as a Christian father in particular. But it means that Christ is the leader of my home, and I'm the first follower, which builds on this idea that I was talking about in the last episode of Bedatitudes, which is that poverty of spirit means embracing that I don't know what I'm doing, and that's okay. That I go to God every day and I say, Lord, teach me. I don't know how to love these people the way you want me to. I, I have love in my heart. Right? I have good intentions in my heart. I have good ideas in my head sometimes. And um, I think they're awesome. I think all of that's great. But when it comes right down to it, I don't know how to take that love that's in my heart and use it in a way that is actually good for my family. I don't know how to love my family the way they need to be loved. I certainly don't know how to love my family the way you, Lord, want me to love them. Teach me. 
I have good ideas in my head about where we should go and what my family life should look like and what it all should check out to be. But I don't know how to enact those ideas in a way that's really good for my family, much less that reflects your will. I don't have the first clue how to make any of that happen. But that's okay, because I know you'll teach me. So Lord, teach me. Being poor in spirit means doing what St. John Paul referred to as, as receptivity, being cultivating that spirit of receptivity that allows us to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in the moment and really hear his voice and know his will. And so I'm praying all day, okay, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Teach me. I don't know how to, I don't know how to correct my kid in this situation. Teach me. I don't know how to respond to my wife when she says that. <laughs> Teach me. I don't know how to pay this bill. I don't know how to approach this situation. I don't know how to fix this thing. I don't know how to fix this relationship. Certainly. Teach me. And I'm walking with the Heavenly Father all day long, and he is holding my hand as his son, and he is teaching me. And that's what that poverty of spirit really means in my relationship to my Heavenly Father. But today we want to talk about what this relationship means to my connection with my wife. How does poverty of spirit order my relationship with my wife? And I think this same idea uh, comes into play here. I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to lead my wife in any way that would be good for her, uh, would, would, would be what God wants. I don't know how to do that on my own power. And that's okay. You see, we, we try to set ourselves up as, you know, mini wizards of Oz so often, right? And, and just do what I tell you because I'm supposed to be the man. And I mean, first of all, it's, it's, I mean, it's bad on a secular level, but, but, on a, but, but on a spiritual level, it's disastrous because I'm setting myself up as a part-time pagan deity in my household. I, I can't be that, that person that, that supplants God that says, I'm not going to defer to my wife and I, we're, we're, going to, we're not going to defer to God. You know, everybody just has to follow me. That, that's not what Christian men are called to. We're called to be first followers, as I said a little bit earlier. And to be a first follower means to be clear that I don't know where God's necessarily leading, but I want to learn. And I want to be the person who facilitates the process by which we as a family discern God's will. Right? So the leader's job is to set the agenda. Go this way. Come on. Right? That's the leader's job. And that's Christ's job. Christ is the one who sets the agenda. Christ is the one who shows us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has the words that lead to everlasting life. We follow him. He is the leader. I am the first follower. So what does that mean? I'm the person who is helping the family discern what God's will is. I facilitate the process by which we work together to discern God's will. Um, you know, I don't know. I've, I've served on a couple of boards and, uh, you know, a lot of men kind of get <clears throat> caught up in this idea of I'm the chairman of the board of my family. Um, sure. All right, let's go with that. There is, there, I've never been on a board where the chairman of the board dictates the agenda to the rest of the board members. <clears throat> Excuse me. What does the chairman of the board do? He facilitates the conversation. He maintains Robert's rules of order. He makes sure that everybody's voice is heard. He collects all the information 
And then he brings it to a vote. And, you know, he facilitates the process. He's very much in charge. Um, but he facilitates the process by which decisions are made. So he's not an autocrat. He's not a dictator. He is a facilitator. He is the first follower, if you will, of the company's mission. In the same way, as Catholic men, we are the first followers of Christ's mission. And we facilitate the process by which everybody determines what God's will is. And that starts in my marriage. So how do I do that? Well, the first thing is couple prayer. I have to be willing to enter into regular couple prayer with my wife. And if, if a shudder just went through the audience just now, it's okay, take a breath. It's going to be all right. Um, the, the funny thing is we have this sense that prayer is supposed to be somehow um, private. Uh, it, you know, that the, the prayer is supposed to be personal. Um, we're not supposed to share it with other people. Um, and I get that. But the thing is, the catechism actually says that the prayer is never actually private. Um, it's the most, it's always communal. In fact, even when we're praying alone, the catechism tells us that we're actually pre praying with all the saints and angels too. And you say, oh, well, that's not the same thing. No, but, but, I, but it is. You know, we never pray alone. When we pray, we're never, we're never less alone than when we pray. Um, prayer is an intimate activity, not just with God. Every time we pray, we draw closer to the communion of saints as well. And that communion of saints is ultimately going to include, hopefully, right, our, our, our wife and our kids. We need to start praying with them now. And, and so how do we start? You know, it's okay if it feels awkward. Um, it's okay if it feels uncomfortable. You know, as men, we have to do uncomfortable things all the time. We just have to know it's worth it. And this is worth it because this is what it takes to follow God. We can't, you can have a marriage with Christians in it, but you can't have a Christian marriage unless you're praying together every single day. And you and your wife are going to God and saying, Lord, we don't have the first clue. We don't know how to love each other the way you want us to. We don't know how to get through this day. We don't know how to love these kids. We don't know how to make it. But we trust that you know, and we trust that you're going to hold our hands while we figure it out. And we trust that you're going to take care of us and that we're going to, you're going to help us take care of each other while we figure it out. And it's my job as the first follower in the family to exercise that poverty of spirit that makes it okay for my wife to acknowledge that she doesn't know what she's doing either. And that we can be stupid together, <laughs> that we can sit in this, this, this holy ignorance, if you will, and, and just let God teach us. So I go to her and we start the day in prayer and, and that doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, um, I think that we, as Catholics, we have a rich tradition of many, many beautiful types of prayer. And, you know, I, I'm, uh, I used to be on the board for Holy Cross Family Ministries. I actually work for them now in, in some capacity. And, and Holy Cross Family Ministries is um, the legacy of Venerable Father Patrick Payton, the rosary priest, who, who you might know uh, said the family that prays together stays together. And he was a big advocate of the family rosary. So I'm a huge, huge fan of family rosary. That said... Um, I, I want to caution you out there uh, against the idea of saying words at God. Uh, formal prayer, the, the family rosary, chaplets, um, devotions, even liturgy of the hours, those are all beautiful ways to pray if, if we have a relationship with God outside of those prayers. Think of it this way, right? If, if you have a beautiful relationship with your wife where you talk about lots of different things, you share your heart on lots of different levels. 
And then you read her a beautiful poem. That poem is just beautiful because of all the feeling that goes into it, because of all the other interactions that you've had, all the other conversations that you've shared. But let's just say you, you never talk at all to your wife. And, um, you know, she says, uh, hey, honey, would you mind, uh, you know, picking up the toilet paper at the grocery store today? And you said, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. You'd be, you'd be checked into the mental hospital, and rightfully so. The, the point is, there has to be a conversation outside of those beautiful romantic prayers that give those beautiful romantic prayers meaning. So it's very good to, to say those, or, or to, excuse me, to pray those formal prayers like the family rosary or the chaplet or liturgy of the hours or any other devotional. Those are beautiful things. And there's a lot of meaning uh, and a lot of power in those prayers. They allow us to, to pray with the whole church. Um, but again, sometimes we as men, we hide out behind those kinds of prayers. We, we don't really want to be intimate, but we want to be dutiful. And so instead of actually praying with our hearts, we say the words so we can check off the box and get our medal for having prayed that day. We're good prayers because we always said the words. Again, and I want, and I want to be clear, I am not knocking those prayers. Those, the prayers themselves are powerful and beautiful and amazing grace-filled experiences but you have to be properly disposed to use those tools well. And the proper disposition comes from having that conversation with God all day long where you're saying, I don't know what I am doing. And saying with your wife, we don't know what we're doing. Lord, teach us and help us to take care of each other while we figure it out together. So how do we facilitate that conversation? There are lots of different ways to pray. I'm not suggesting that I have the one and only best way to do this. But in the Beatitudes book and several of our other books as well, um, I outline a process that I call the praise format, P-R-A-I-S-E. Some of you might be familiar with another prayer format, ACTS, Adoration, Contrition, um, Adoration, Contrition, Thanksgiving, Supplication, sorry. Um, this is my own twist on that because I think it covers a few more bases and actually allows us to go a little bit deeper, but that's, that's just me. If you have something else that you like, by all means do that. But this, this praise format, I'd like to walk you through as a way of kind of ordering your daily prayer with your wife, uh, to cultivate that poverty of spirit, not only in your own heart, but in, in your marriage as the first follower of Christ in your home. Praise, P-R-A-I-S-E. P stands for praise and thanksgiving. So when we start to pray, we want to enter into the presence of God by recognizing how good he is and, and how wonderful, how much he cares for us. So praise refers to the way we thank God for who he is. We, I praise you, Lord, for you're so merciful and so loving and so generous and so good and kind. You know, here are different examples of where I've seen that kindness and that goodness. And you, and you just praise God for who he is. Um, that's different from Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has to do with those specific blessings that he's given you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us be able to, to meet this bill this month. Thank you, Lord, for being able for healing my son. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing or that. Those are, we thank God for the things he does for us. We praise him for who he is. And as a quick aside here, God doesn't need our praise and thanksgiving. We need it. Why? Because praising God and thanking him reminds us that he is present and he is loving us and he is taking care of us. 
God wants us to praise him, not because he has a, you know, some ego problem that he needs to be puffed up by us. God doesn't need anything from us. He needs us to praise him because he knows we need to hear it. We, he knows we need to really recognize that, oh, whoa, oh, God was there. Look at that. Otherwise, we think it's all about us. So P, praise and thanksgiving, is the first part of any prayer that we lead with our wife. R, repentance, is the second part of that praise prayer format. R stands for repentance, not in terms of full confession. I'm not going to confess my sins to my wife. But I will say, Lord, forgive me for that time that I was short with her. You know, and, and I will say that in front of my wife. I'll say that you know, to Lisa, you know, or to God in, in Lisa's presence. Lord, I'm sorry for that time that I was short with Lisa today. You know, I, I really lost my temper and there was, she, it was uncalled for and you know, we worked it out and I thank you for that grace, but, but help me to do better tomorrow. You know, help me in those situations where she says that thing that pushes that button that I, I will do better next time. Give me the grace to be the husband that you want me to be and that she needs me to be. That's an intimate, vulnerable moment. That's a beautiful moment. Um, and it leads to great grace in a marriage and, and, and depth uh, and it and it melts your wife's heart for you to be that honest and vulnerable and true in your prayer, to be that first follower, and to have that kind of humility and poverty of spirit that says that can that can do that, that can repent like that and ask for God's grace to be that better man in her presence, and 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 that invites her to do the same. And if you know you you, you your wife doesn't do that at first, that's okay. You just keep doing that. She'll get it eventually. Lead by example. A is asking for needs. I won't belabor this too much, but it's where you bring up those things that you need from God. And no need is too great or too small. We we need to bring everything to God and say, Lord, I don't know how to make this happen. I don't know how this will work out, but I know that you do, and I place my trust in you. Please respond to this. Please attend to this. Please be with me. I, we intercede for others. When we intercede for others, of course, we we are bringing up their concerns. Help, Help my mother went through that surgery, please, Lord, be with my friend who is struggling with their marriage, please. Whatever the situation is, we bring those concerns of others to God. And we, of course, don't forget to pray for those who have gone before us, those poor souls in purgatory and those who need our prayers and have no one to pray for them. We intercede for others as a way of of remembering that we are always part of a community and that, that prayer isn't just about us. S, we seek God's will. S, seeking God's will. You know, this is the part of the prayer where we recognize there are big decisions that we need to make every day in our lives, and we don't know how to make them. And so, Lord, we bring these decisions before you. Help us figure out our kids' schedules so we don't drive ourselves crazy, busting them everywhere. Help us to figure out whether I should take this promotion. Thank you. Please help us, Lord, figure out if we should move or whatever the situation is. I'm bringing those big questions to God, um, not so I can get an immediate answer, but so that we can figure it out. You know, any big question in your life that, that's going to be requiring some real reflection and, and, and thought, bring it to God every day until you get those answers. You're seeking his will by raising those questions. Lord, I know what I want and my wife knows what she wants, but we need to know what you want. Help us to take care of each other while we figure it out and give us the grace to know your will. E, then the last one, is expressing your desire to listen uh, as you go about your day. This is where you're wrapping things up, right? But you're just saying you're not just saying "Amen" and running out the door. This is the part where you say, "Okay, Lord, I I want to hear your voice and know your will. Speak to me throughout the day. Help me hear your voice, so that when we come back together in prayer, we can share more about what you want." 
You know, the language of God is experience. God speaks and things come into being. He speaks to us through the things that happen in the day. We think those are just things that happen. We think that's just coincidence. But really, it's the voice of God speaking to us. I'm not suggesting he makes those things happen. I'm saying he speaks through those experiences. And when we bring those experiences to God and we say, okay, Lord, what are you trying, what are you trying to say to me in that? If I responded to that in my best self, what would that require of me? And if we ask that question, we can often hear what God is saying to us at that point. It makes it clear you know, what God's will is and what God, God's voice is for us at that time. And so this P-R-A-I-S-E model of prayer allows us to, to take that poverty of spirit and reflect on it. Yes, personally, we can praise, use this praise format ourselves, but it allows us to then bring our wife into that same poverty of spirit with us, where we are both acknowledging our own limitations, our, the goodness of our desires and intentions, but, but the limitations that we have in, in light of that. And we bring it all to God and ask him to teach us how to love each other and have the marriage that God wants us to be. And in doing that, that orders our hearts eventually, ultimately, to be the fathers that God wants us to be. Because the closer we draw to our wife, the more we're open to children, right? We'll talk more about how the poverty of, this poverty of spirit informs our actual fatherhood in the next podcast. But, but for now, take some time to reflect on what it means to be the first follower in your marriage, in your home. Take some time to explore this idea of the intimacy with God and with your wife that couple prayer invites you into and how that kind of couple prayer that's rooted in this poverty of spirit can help you be a father after the father's own heart. And if you'd like to learn more, you can check out my book, The Bead Attitudes, Eight Ways to Be an Awesome Dad. We'd also love for you, if you haven't joined yet, to become part of the Catholic Home Community. That's Catholic H-O-M. It stands for Households on Mission. If you go to CatholicHOM.com, you can sign up for the free or premium app there. Lots of great resources for building a great Catholic H-O-M, a household on mission to love like Christ. But that's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for being with me and look forward to catching you the next time. God bless.